0: People talk about veganism in the fact that people are very disconnected from the food. They don't know where the food comes from. And you can go vegan, but then if you never learn how to cook or know how food goes together, you're still quite disconnected with where your food comes from. So learning how to cook and kind of taking that time in the kitchen, you don't have to become an expert, but, you know, it it really helps know what's going into your body and you
1: can really connect with the food and, and appreciate it. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host Robbie Lockie. Today I'm really excited to have my friend Brett Cobley. He's an author, a public speaker and a vegan chef and he's just released his cookbook What Vegans Eat. Welcome to the PBN Podcast Brett. Hey, how's it going, friends? So, it's great to be here, mate. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I've wanted to do this for a while. It's been a really, really uh, long time coming, and um, I'm excited to have you in my house. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're in my house in South London. Um, usually I do the podcast over the internet, so it's a real treat to have... I much prefer
0: it to do it in person, because it's, yeah. it's nice to get the vibes from someone and the kind of body language and stuff. We got a cup of tea. Yeah.
1: What did I get? Women women power or something? Brett's women drink, love? Drink, Brett's drinking um, packer, packer Teas. Yeah. Packer Teas. kind. So he's mm. getting some of the female it's really energy. really tasty. <laughs> Cranberry and vanilla or something. Drinking it out of my special catty corn <laughs> uh, teacup. So, um, before we kind of dive into everything that you're doing yeah. now and all, you know your, your cookbook and everything... Um, Talk us through your vegan journey and how did you discover this lifestyle?
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting actually because I just wrote a blog post for Veganuary on that subject um, and it was interesting to kind of bring it all back myself. So the first kind of time I'd ever even cooked for a veggie was when I was living up in Liverpool and I cooked for two of the people who lived in my building and they were both doctors and... Uh, when I found out that she was veggie, I was like, oh, it's really exciting. Like, I'm going to get to cook a veggie meal because at that time I was completely oblivious to anything like that. So I uh, cooked them a veggie meal and we got talking because I was, like, going to the gym constantly at the time and I was having, like, tons of protein shakes. I was, like, replacing a lot of my meals with protein shakes. Mm-hmm. And I was protein obsessed. Mm-hmm. And they told me that when someone has, like, kidney failure, they put them on a low-protein diet and how actually it can be quite negative to have so much high-protein all the time. Yeah. And I was really, like, surprised about it. So it kind of planted a few seeds and we went to some vegan restaurants at the time, but it wasn't until about a year later when I was living in Birmingham and I just had a casual conversation with someone at work who wasn't a vegan himself mm. and he told me that he watched a documentary where they were talking about doing blood tests on people for their health mm-hmm. and the vegans on the show had the best blood work out of all the people that they were testing and... I must admit, at the time, I kind of called bullshit. I was like, <laughs> "That really? I was like, they're not deficient in things. Mm. So it just led me to just do a Google search. What year was this? Uh, this was three years ago. Mm. Um, so yeah, like 2016. And so I did a quick Google search. And one of the first things that came up was 101 reasons to go vegan. And after that, I never ate anything there wasn't vegan again. Mm. So I went through a, a process. I watched it, the bit that really struck a chord. It's, is,
1: yeah, explain why. Yeah, there was kind of
0: two bits in there. So yeah. one is he does a roshark test.
1: Mm. So For what he, test?
0: A roshark test. Right. So it's basically a roshark test. Anyone can like look it up and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the premise of a roshark test is to tell a lie to someone and see if they can kind of guess that you're lying, see mm. if it, it, it seems, you know, fallible or not. And he puts two dots up on the screen. One's red and one's blue. And he says these dots look the same size, but one's bigger than the other. And he gets the people in the room to vote, and they all vote for like different dots each. And at the end, he tells them actually they're both the same size. Mm. He says, but because mm. I'm doing a talk and because I'm at the front, you believe me. Yeah. Mm. And he says advertising's doing this to you every day. Mm. The dairy industry, the meat mm. industry, they're doing this to you every day. And because they've got authority and because mm. they spend a lot of money on advertising, mm. then you believe them. Mm. So that was a bit like my my arrogance and my ego kind of went. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like being lied to. Mm -hmm. So, oh, let me watch the rest of this and Mm -hmm. see what goes on. And then he he gets on to talking about the hypocrisy of how we treat animals differently, the kind of speciesism. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you walk outside now and there's a guy hitting a dog with a baseball bat, Mm -hmm. what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, I take the bat off the guy and I call the police or, you know, I maybe would jump in and stop the guy, whatever I'd do. And he said, yeah, that's natural reaction. You'd get angry, you'd protect the animal. And he's like, what if it's a pig? And I just thought, it'd be exactly the same. I'm not going to let someone harm an innocent animal, That's, mm. And I thought, oh, I eat one. That's weird. Someone has to kill it at some point. Mm. And I was a meat eater at this point. And I mm. wasn't even veggie. Mm. And I was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't do it myself. I wouldn't want to hurt it. But I, I'm obviously someone's hurting it, so I'm yeah. paying for it. And it, yeah. the cog's kind of turned... Mm. And just things like you always kind of know it that a cow has to get pregnant to give milk, but you don't think about it. You just go along your life ignorant. And I was kind of like, they literally just keep impregnating cows and stealing their babies.
1: Like, why do you think we? Why do you think you never came across any of this before? Like, what, why do you think you were never exposed to it?
0: Our life isn't designed for us to find that information out because it's mm. an inconvenient truth. Mm. Um, I mean, I liken it to the fact that you're going to die one day Mm. I used to think about the fact that I was going to die one day all the time Mm. and it can depress you and get you down Mm. so we all walk around with the knowledge that we're not invincible and we are going to die one day but we put it to the back of our mind because we wouldn't be able to function Mm. and it's the fact that society is set up in a way that it tells people they couldn't function without meat and dairy Mm. So they just put it to the back of their mind mm. that actually they're eating an animal. And I think that's what I was doing all the time. Mm. I was thinking that, oh, I need all this protein, I need all this stuff from these animal products, so I'll just put it to the back of my mind. Mm. And then when you're kind of faced with it, which by the way, I had to go searching for that knowledge. If someone would have come up to me and gone, you need to go vegan and like been in my face, I know I'm the kind of person I've reacted very badly to that mm. and I wouldn't have wanted to mm. look into it. Mm-hmm. But because I looked at it myself from like a casual kind conversation
1: Mm.
0: I was very exceptional of it because to me it was like finding the truth myself
1: Mm. and obviously your life at the time um, when you obviously made this connection Mm. how did your where were you living at the time you were up up north still no, I was living in Birmingham at Birmingham, the time right. um and That's, that tour the international still listeners. up north They're yeah still up sorry north from London it's because before
0: that I lived in um really up I north. lived in Liverpool, so I was living even more up north um yeah anything anything above <laughs> london Londoners think of is north um so yeah, I was working as an engineer at the time and I was doing crazy hours I wasn't really taking care of myself. Um, I suffer with insomnia anyway, so I was massively struggling to sleep because I wasn't giving myself enough time to relax mm. and actually sleep. I was doing a crazy amount of work in my day job, and yeah. uh, but kind of finding veganism was all linked to a lot of changes that were coming in my life at the time. Mm. I found minimalism
1: at the same time mm. as well. And, and when your I'm friends and family and people around you, how did they react to it and think you were crazy? So I think initial reaction...
0: Um, was just shocked because I was very much a, a typical kind of meat and two veg kind of guy. I used to eat do you want to also
1: explain a bit about kind of British food culture to the international listeners? Because yeah. in, our, in this country, like meat and two veg, and what does that mean historically?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So historically in in Great Britain, a lot of the meals are based around your meat is like the, the main part of the meal that... Mm. It, it, You can tell it in linguistics as well. When people talk about food, they will talk about, like, they're having a beef roast or a chicken roast. Like, the meat always comes first in whatever they're going to explain. Like, Mm -hmm. if they go out for a curry, they have a chicken biryani. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They they always talk about the the meat first Mm -hmm. because they they see it as, like, being built on that. Mm -hmm. And then two veg. So normally they'll have, like, a starchy veg, like potatoes, Mm -hmm. and then they'll have, like, greens as well. Mm -hmm. But that's very much how a lot of the meals are set up, which... uh, I think it's Trevor Noah makes the joke that yeah. the white man tra- was so bored by his food that he travelled halfway around the world and had to conquer entire empires just yeah. to get some spice in his life. <laughs> because our, our food is so boring.
1: Traditionally, British food has pretty bland. Been pretty bland. Obviously, there's been a food gastronomic revolution yeah. over the last few years. Um, what are the kind of some of the kind of meals that people ate, British-style meals that were a bit bland? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, people have... It's kind of like steak and chips, you mm. know, like fish and
0: chips. Mm. It's very, very boiled. like a meat and a starch. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, Irish food, it's very, mm. like, boiled ham and potatoes. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, everything's so... A lot of beige food, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. Kind of boiled, bland yeah. food. The, the only really overpowering taste is it's being seasoned by salt a lot of the time.
1: So, obviously, you started out while well, your career as an engineer. So, how yeah. did you end up getting into cooking and... Uh,
0: I mean really when I so when I was going through my apprenticeship as an engineer I did a lot of work in pubs and restaurants Mm. I was a silver service waiter for a few Mm -hmm. years I worked behind a lot of bars I've Mm. always worked in like food and Mm -hmm. beverage industry and but it was always like a side thing for me so I've done like some sous chef work before which for anyone doesn't know, you do like a lot of prepping and mm. you also do desserts usually. So
1: chef, like an assistant chef to the yeah. boss, basically. Yeah,
0: but in like, if you look at it in like um, small restaurants or like pub trade where there's not a lot of people in the mm. kitchen, you would usually yeah. be doing like the dessert element of the meal um, or you'd be doing like prepping. Like that. um, so that's something that I've always done. So I've always been in, in, invested in food and kind of very interested in it. Mm. And then when I went vegan... I had to literally ask myself, if anyone doesn't know the title of my book, it's called What Vegans Eat. And that's because that was the question I had to ask myself when mm. I went vegan. I had no idea what mm-hmm. vegans ate. I was completely oblivious to it. So I went on the journey of finding what what we can eat, you know, started off with the, the premise of, okay, so what can't we eat, you know, mm-hmm. list all them things. And then everything else is on the table. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you realize that's a huge amount of it food.
1: Because people are continuously saying, when they discover our lifestyle or mm-hmm. discover the whole vegan thing, they say what the hell do you eat? Because mm. I think in people's minds, like you pointed out, like the meat is always the main star of the show. Yeah. And if you take the meat out, oh my goodness, what are you going to live on? Yeah. You know, um, you obviously went through a journey. So you, when you were working in all these places, you were obviously cooking with meat yeah. and stuff like that. Just describe a little bit of how like everything changed, how your kind of attitude to, towards food changed. Yeah.
0: I like to liken it to, um, if you've got, whether it's an orchestra or whether it's a sports team or whatever, if you've got like a star of the show that you're always focusing on,
2: mm.
0: you everything else fades into the background mm. when really a vegan meal is mm. everything's more equal. Mm-hmm. You actually build up the real mm. components. Um, so you, you take out the fact that you've got this rotten flesh that you base mm. your meal on mm. and you start to appreciate the spices more mm. and actually complement everything in, in terms of the vegetables all going together. Mm. Even even realising things as simple as like basing a basing a curry on butternut squash mm. or on your lentils and mm. making dolls, things like that. It's just so... It's so much more satisfying and mm-hmm. flavoursome.
1: And thinking about texture as well mm. and, and crunch and all the different um, consistencies of food because vegetables are diverse and you can do different yeah. things with them. Our, last week's episode was um, Ella Mills from Deliciously Ella. Yeah. And she talked a lot about how like, you know, if we want to get people to think about vegetables in a different way, we have to make them cool. Yeah. We have to show people the variety and the diversity. So obviously as, you know, things evolved for you, um, you decided you watched this this yeah uh, doc not documentary, but you watched this YouTube it's video. It's a YouTube video, yeah. Yeah. And then like how did it how did you end up where you are now? Like will talk us through that journey. So
0: yeah, I um I basically I, I went home and got rid of everything that day. cupboards, yeah, oh. I started giving it to um I went around my neighbors and things like that and mm. gave them you know tins of food no anything mm-hmm. that wasn't wasn't vegan yeah, um I didn't want to throw things away I didn't want them too wasted, but I didn't want to eat them mm. myself because mm-hmm. it kind of it, it was so powerful to watch that for me that mm. I, I felt kind of disgusted mm. so I started giving things away and then i um actually came down to London and saw my uncle, and I said to him, you know I've actually gone vegan mate and <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what that means yet in terms of what I'm going to eat and how I'm going to go forward with it and he was like oh I've got vegan mates like I'm, they can oh, wow. eat this and Amazing. they can eat that and and we can go to this restaurant and stuff and he started like playing around with some ideas mm. so then when I went, came back from London mm. I was kind of energised by it and I had some ideas mm. and I got straight into the kitchen because that was what I always did to relax me anyway mm. i a love to play around in the kitchen I started sending pictures to my friends mm. look what I'm eating and this is vegan I can't believe it <laughs> like I was making like yeah. my own pizza dough mm. and then I was getting which at the time I mean vegan cheese has come a long way even in the yes. last few years yeah. since I was since I went vegan and I was putting like pretty crappy vegan cheese on my pizza mm. but I was sending a picture to my friends and going this is ve- it's a pizza and it's vegan mm. and they were like I can't I can't believe that that's really that's mm. really
2: cool mind blew. And my mate
0: was like look if you really believe in this journey that you're on and mm. you believe everyone should go vegan like you keep saying you should start mm. like an Instagram or something mm-hmm. and show people and tell them because mm. I was actually quite anti social media at the time Oh wow, really And yeah and Why is that? Um, I just didn't have great experiences with it in terms of I saw it as it was a problem in a lot of people's relationships mm. I saw a distraction yeah, it was a distraction in terms of people just on it all day and mm. wasting time and stuff. But at the same time, it was like you would just see a, someone would be in a relationship and then like someone's ex would get back in touch with them, mm. or someone would like a photo and the person would get jealous that someone mm. liked a photo. Mm. And I just thought, flipping out! I don't need that drama in my life. Right. Yeah. So I just deleted it. Mm-hmm. I deleted Facebook. I didn't have an Instagram for years. Mm. I deactivated all my accounts. I just mm. wasn't bothered with it. Um, But then I thought, yeah, you know what? It's a really good tool to tell people, Mm. oh, hey, I found this new lifestyle. Mm. Um, It doesn't harm animals. It's better for the environment. It's better for your health. So this is what I eat. And all I was doing for the first probably six months, Mm. I just posted three meals a day, everything Mm -hmm. I ate. Mm. Um, And pretty much all of that, I would get up early, make my breakfast so I could take a photo of it. And then I'd make something to take to work I'd pack that up and I'd take a photo of that, pack it yeah. up, take it to work, and then I'd go in that night and make something else and cool. and take a photo of that as well. Yeah. And I would just do three meals a day mm. every day. And the reaction of that mm. was a lot of my friends started following me as they do at mm. first, um, and they were like, "Oh, that's really interesting that you can eat that." And then obviously a lot of other vegans started following me and mm. saying, "Oh, I didn't know I could have that," or "That mm. looks mm. a tasty dish." And they wanted recipes and things, so I started to build up a profile of recipes. Mm. And as the followers grew. Mm. I think my photography got a bit more professional. Your photography is um,
1: fantastic, but you've already got a, fun, a great eye because it's very easy for people to take pictures of food and it look freaking horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> so did um, you learn that? Did, did someone teach you? or
0: it, No one taught me. I mean, recently I spoke to a photographer who actually went through my Instagram and, and started saying, like, I like that, I don't like that, and he, he's great. His name's mm. Howard Chu. He's a mm. fantastic photographer. Mm. Um, but that's really recent. Yeah. Up until that point... I kind of went very much off the basics, mm. so mm-hmm. no amount of editing or mm. um, lighting is going to make bad food look good. Right. Y- yeah. Your food look it's needs to look good right from the start. The style your food. Yeah. yeah. The next part is is composition, mm. so making sure that everything's actually. Mm. The biggest tip I ever learned was that you should have your angle that you're going to take the photo from, and have your frame in mind already, mm. and then build the picture within mm-hmm. the frame that you've already set. So your yeah. camera shouldn't move. Mm-hmm and then making sure it's lit right mm. um, get those three things which obviously sounds easy but get mm. them three things right and you've how got long, a good photo on your hand.
1: how long do you spend on your photos now now that you're doing it as a
0: photo
1: uh, so photo so, start
0: to finish I mean it completely depends on how the dish goes really because yeah. if I'm doing like a big spread yeah, then it could take me an hour and a half to mm. just get that one photo down mm. but If it's just something that I've made as like a casual meal and I want it to look casual, Mm. which is a kind of skill in itself, then you know, half an
1: hour or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm. Some uh, some of my friends, I don't know, you know Nikki from Rebel Recipes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nikki can spend up to like four hours or more. On it. Yeah, she she puts a lot of detail. She loves the kind of props. Um, do you use many props? You have some some of your pictures. I try where... and
0: make them quite. I try and make my yeah. dishes quite minimal. Yeah, um, try and use negative space mm. as much
1: as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you do see. You mentioned being a minimalist. Yeah, um, does that come through in your work? You think.
0: Yeah, I think it's come through, it's come through in a lot of my work in the past year because mm. I used to use more props, mm. but I actually, have you ever watched the Minimist documentary? I
1: have actually. Yeah. I watched
0: the minimalist documentary and I cried, um, I cried when I watched it because there's a guy in it who looked like I did at the time with a mm. ponytail and he worked in like stocks and chairs, and he worked mm. at some, you know, brokerage or something mm. and He basically talked about the fact that he'd always wanted to work in what he worked in then. Mm. He basically picked his job because it earned him the most amount of money. Mm. But then he worked his way up doing tons of hours a week and got to a point where they offered him a job and the amount of money was more money than he could ever turn down because Mm. he was, he'd built his life around earning that kind of money Mm. and he just, he realized he was never going to be free from that job again. He was, Mm. he was never going to be the traveler that he wanted to be. He was never going to see the world because he was always going to be just working hard Mm. and he didn't. He didn't realise why anymore. Mm. And I started crying because I was like, oh, that that guy's me. Mm. Because I was doing the same thing. I kept telling my mum that I wanted to get to a certain level in the Mm. business by the time I was 30. Mm. And it's like, it's almost like director level. Mm. But I was like telling her, oh, I'll be the youngest guy in the company to ever get to that stage. And I'll be this and I'll be that. And I'll get a Range Rover and I'll get this. And like, these are all the things that you get in that position. Mm. Mm -hmm. she went oh really will you be happy then Mm. and I was like I don't know know." because I won't won't have a family or anything because I don't have relationships at the minute because all I do is work Mm. and I was like and I'm neglecting a lot of my friend relationships because I will lose work Mm. and I'm buying all this stuff and then Mm. I'm paying it back later because I know more money's coming in Mm. I was like why am I setting my life up like that Mm. so I actually sold pretty much everything I sold Mm. my house sold my car sold most of my possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, Clothing-wise, like, I've halved the amount of clothes I had probably six or seven times since then. Wow. Just keep halving them again mm-hmm. um, and just giving them to, to homeless people.
1: Where do you think that pressure uh, comes from um, on us to consume, to buy, and to have all these things to kind of validate our existence as people? So we are biologically
0: programmed to be unhappy with what we have, right? But then advertising... Takes advantage of the fact that we are unhappy. They know we're unhappy, what,
1: why are we and they take advantage. Program? How do you mean?
0: Because if not, you'd be living in a mud hut. Mm. You wouldn't have bricks and mortar around you. Mm. People wouldn't have cars. They'd still walk everywhere. Because do you if- mean envy? Are you talking about envy? No, about? I'm not talking about envy. I'm talking about um, if, like, all your house does for you on the basis of things mm. is gives you shelter and warmth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you built a mud hut and you were like, oh, I'm pretty warm now, and I've, I, I don't get rained on. You'd stop there, you'd never improve it. Mm. But because you're like, oh, I've not got electricity, where I've not got like a stove, or I've not got all these things, you're kind of designed to be unhappy so that you improve things. Mm. That's, that's kind of what evolution is in, mm. in terms of just yeah. keeps improving to make things better, to advance the species. And so I think we constantly... When we get something, we have an endorphin rush Mm. of, Mm. oh my God, this Mm. is amazing, this is the best thing ever. But then it doesn't take long to be unhappy again. You get the massive rise in endorphins, you get that massive happiness, and then you get a real crash, a big dump as well, Mm. where you feel really unhappy. Mm. And that's why we're chasing things all the time. So because advertising knows that, Mm. they can put it across to you in a way Mm. of, look at these beautiful people in these adverts who look better than you. Mm. And you're like, yeah, they do look better than me. Mm. And photoshopped
1: within an inch of their lives. Photoshopped like within an inch of their
0: life, but probably just better looking than us as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Naturally. Mm. But then they tell you they're using this face cream mm. and you're like, oh, that must be it. I mm. say so you want to buy the face cream or you like we do it all the time. People take a photo of someone to a hairdresser and mm. say, I want that hair haircut. Mm. Really what they want is to look like that person. Mm hmm usually, mm. you get people of all shapes and sizes wanting to look like this supermodel. Yeah,
1: in, in advertising we call it aspirational. Yeah. It's like, you know, this. I worked for 20 years in the advertising industry mm. and this was kind of part of what my role was, was perpetuating these ridiculous kind of impossible ideals. Yeah. And, you know, I really believe this is why in the Western world there's so much depression and um, a sense of um, people feel like they're not enough. Yeah. And and what you talked about, social media, there are elements to social media that perpetuate that. Mm -hmm. The perfect body, the perfect face, the perfect relationship. What we see on social media and what the advertising world presents us is a filtered version of what reality really is.
0: The problem is with that, though, because there's a lot of people who um, say, you know what, I want to give them the real deal on social media and I want to be completely honest and I don't want to give them anything yeah. that's aspirational I don't want anything that they think they need to like yeah. they want to be like me and everyone says oh why do why why do all the people who want to sell like detox tea that's going to make you lose weight or weight loss tea or whatever or like Kim Kardashian with a weight loss lollipops <laughs> why are these are the people that everyone follows yeah. and it's because people want aspirational
2: yeah.
0: They're str- they want to see someone that yeah. they don't see every day yeah. and that's just the way we're designed mm-hmm. um So, yeah, I think the system takes advantage of the fact that biologically Mm. we're unhappy with what we have Mm. because we're always looking to progress and Mm. trying to achieve more. It's it's just that you can do 30, 40 years on a path towards what you want and you don't actually know if you're going towards something you want because you Mm. don't have it yet. You Mm -hmm. you don't even know if you're on the right track Mm. and you can get...
1: But that's, that's the purpose of life. That's what I believe the purpose of life is, is experience. We exist in this world, in this body, to experience whatever that is. Whether you're here for five minutes, five years, 50 years, 100 years, whatever, however lucky you are as a human being to exist within this form, you have an opportunity to experience and it's up to you to decide how that experience is. Obviously, privilege comes into it, depends on where you're born, who you're born to, your income bracket, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you know if you have the right tenacity and courage as a person mm-hmm. it doesn't really you know you're able to carve out a life for yourself um, of of huge proportions I've known many stories of people who've come from you know working class or even impoverished families mm-hmm. who are now multimillionaires who've completely transformed their lives so yeah it's always possible, and I think this is the positive side of, of, of being aspirational, saying this is the whole American dream, you know? Anyone can rise up through the ranks and become a millionaire and have the life that they always wanted. Now, obviously, as a movement, veganism is a large group of people that are very diverse yeah. in, in, in shape and form. How important is it, do you think, um, is perception of us as people to the kind of, you know, the wider audience or the you know the the general public and how we are how we appear as people i think it's very important
0: that we champion the diversity of veganism because Mm. like anything you need sometimes to see someone else that looks like you feels like you came from your kind of background doing something to know that it's possible and i think we really i think we owe it to the movement Mm. to make sure that it does kind of remain as a, an equal thing mm. so i think yeah champion diversity is mm. definitely a really important part of it yeah
1: because vegan is veganism in 1944 was donald watson here in the uk yeah um and it, and it saw and it has kind of started out as a very white middle class thing yeah because of privilege because you have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to choose a lifestyle yeah. in this way things are changing now and There are lots of different people of different shapes and sizes. Does that make sense to you, though? What does? So, and
0: I I find this really interesting. I spoke to someone recently about it. So, I heard someone interviewed once on TV. Mm. And she was um, quite a poor lady who had um, two kids. Mm. And she was being interviewed on TV. And she said, the problem with healthy eating is... Mm apples are the same price as crisps Mm -hmm. and I can't afford to buy both Mm -hmm. well you don't need crisps so you can buy the apples Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. I believe that we actually have grown up in a really entitled time Mm -hmm. that makes people believe that Sky TV for instance Mm -hmm. is a right Mm -hmm. and if you don't have Sky TV you're actually poor
1: Mm
0: -hmm. well no that's a massive luxury to have that
1: TV but that taps into what you were talking about earlier about aspirations and how these advertising industries 100% brainwashing yeah. people into believing they have to have this. Yeah.
0: Stuff. 100%. So there is nothing about feeding a feeding cattle
2: mm.
0: and fattening them up mm. to then eat them mm. that's efficient and cost-saving. Mm. So I don't know how the mentality comes about that people can't choose to be vegan. I can understand that there are there are huge areas in like America mm. that have food deserts, mm. right? So for anyone who you know doesn't really know like anything about food deserts, usually it's when a huge corporation buys up the rights to have a big supermarket in in a town or an area, then they they leave and they keep the rights, and so all that people can get is kind of like tinned food, frozen food from their local stores and things like he- that,
1: which usually heavily contains mostly animal products. Yeah,
0: um, and so they end up with like quite a poor mm. nutritional diet. Mm-hmm. So I get that but in terms of in terms of the way the system's set up mm. surely we, we all as people can start breaking out of that system mm. so it just doesn't seem efficient to raise an animal to eat it mm. so I don't know why that scene is what a poor person needs to do. Does well, it's It
1: is, yeah, it, it does. It's interesting because I think when you look at some of the poorest parts of um, our city, specifically, yeah. specifically London, what do you see that's common about all the high streets? Chicken shops. Chicken shops, betting shops, yeah. all these places where they they clearly are taking advantage of people who are in lower income brackets, mm. selling them <clears throat> cheap food, animal-based foods. I mean, it, it, I think a lot of it comes down to subsidies. Yeah. You know, governments sub- heavily subsidise animal foods animal based products um so it is a lot cheaper to consume these foods but i think a lot of it's to do with education as well yeah. i think people um they know they don't know what they don't know you know if they're working really hard they've got two jobs got they've got kids that they're they're trying to feed um they don't have any energy to cook like fancy complicated meals um fast food is convenient yeah. and it's accessible, you know, you go down to the high street, grabs and takeaways and it's like, you know, 10 pounds for a, like a giant bucket of chicken and yeah. mountains of fries and Coca-Cola and that's like 10,000 calories, you know in America it's particularly bad because if you compare that to fruits and vegetables the fruits and vegetables it cost a fortune Yeah, um, and so I think, you know I think as advocates for us and that's what I like about your book as well you know, What Vegans Eat, so Brett's um, produced a vegan cookbook called What Vegans Eat, and they're simple—you put got on the cover here—over 100 simple, delicious dishes, and I think that's what's really, really important is that we need to not go on about the reishi mushroom milkshakes yeah. and the, all these different things. We need to remind people about like eating wholesome, simple plant foods. It doesn't have to be expensive or complicated.
0: Yeah, i i worked uh, I worked with a publisher on this book to. We, w- we came up with a figure we wanted kind of like at least 80% of the book to be stuff that you could buy from like a local corner store mm-hmm. so there's there's like you know bean stews sausage stews mm-hmm. sa- sorry sausage casseroles and mm-hmm. things like that uh, like potato gratin all things that really you can buy the ingredients mm-hmm. really locally mm-hmm. and you don't need to go to like health food shops and things like that or spend large amounts of money it was really to kind of try and hit the masses and get as many people eating vegan as possible mm-hmm. and What's great about it is Amazon have made it £7 now as well, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. it's really cheap for books in its mm-hmm. category. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice. I'm just trying to really, yeah, just hit as many people as possible with it to kind of encourage people to to go vegan and stay vegan.
1: Do you want to um, just talk a bit about some of the recipes in the book um, just for the us- the aud- users, the audience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so
0: I don't know if um, we've got we've got in here so i don't know whether anyone saw me on itv i was on a program called the big audition and there was on the on the day they only showed four on the actual channel but there's there was like 10 chefs that all kind of went against each other um and i was the only vegan one on there and i came away as the the winner but on that i cooked a what i have in the book is an epic bruschetta Mm -hmm. which is a fig asparagus rocket uh, garlic and tomato bruschetta and then i also did uh, an italian lasagna so the italian flag lasagna is like it's layered pesto and courgette it's got uh, macadamia nut ricotta and then it's got a marinara sauce mm. um Delish. just really hearty but quite simple mm-hmm. simple food but then yeah as i said like bean stews in there you got french toast i do a a vegan eggs benedict which it's it's like an english traditional english muffin with tofu, I don't know if, if anyone doesn't know what Eggs Benedict is, it's traditionally uh, bacon with, in, in an egg on top, or like ham and an egg on top, uh, with a hollandaise sauce. So I've made a vegan holiday sauce, I've used tofu, charred tomatoes, spinach, and then I've, I've poured that vegan yeah. holiday sauce over the top. Sounds divine. Yeah, so it's, uh, like I say, it's one of the main questions I get asked as well is, what can I take for packing up? What can I pack my kids or
1: you know my husband or my wife yeah. for packing up? And people want convenience, don't they? Like yeah. very busy lives and it's good to have recipes that aren't too time consuming because not yeah. everyone has, not everyone has four hours to do a seitan steak. Yeah. <laughs> no, and no. that's something there's, there's not people that they aren't amazing seitan steaks, but 100%. it's like, you know, people are very busy
0: and I'm really glad that, you know, we've got people within the vegan community that are making seitan steaks and kind of yeah. pushing that along and yeah, trying yeah. to improve, improve on those kind of recipes for anyone yeah. who misses meat. Yeah. But for me... I'd
1: rather buy someone's seitan steak than make it myself. Yeah,
0: <laughs> just just from a purely time perspective mm. of I know what it's like to work 80 hours a week, mm. get home and not have time. Mm. Just not have time to cook mm. and have to choose between if I am going to make a fancy meal or get mm. six hours sleep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, And so mm. I haven't put anything like seitan steaks or anything like that in the book. Mm. It is... It is divided into everyday meals, and then I've got a few at the end of each section that's like stealing the show. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to, you know, spend a bit of extra time at a weekend and cook something a bit fancy that you, mm. you want to impress, maybe your loved ones with or your yeah. friends, then there's 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 those dishes in there as well.
1: Because cooking is like a meditation, and if you do have yeah. the time to spend learning to cook and falling in love with ingredients and recipe, uh, sorry, uh, flavors and herbs yeah. and spices, you know, it is something that can really help improve mental health I think yeah you know when you take time in the kitchen you put your phone down or turn it off even better yeah put the radio on and you know get out a recipe and spend some time with yourself you know you don't have to be cooking for other people as well you know cooking for yourself nourishing your own body yeah. and enjoying the process of bringing something bringing a creation to life from a cookbook is very rewarding and i recommend people yeah. do it because you know sometimes people buy cookbooks don't they and they sort of just sit on the shelf yeah but get into the habit of trying to do at least one dish a week or you know if you can't do that one every two weeks
0: yeah i um i think part of it is people people talk about veganism in the fact that people are very disconnected from the food they don't know where the food comes from mm. and You can go vegan, but then if you never learn how to cook or know how food goes together, you're still Mm. quite disconnected with Mm. where your food comes from. So learning how to cook and kind of taking that time in the kitchen, you don't have to become an expert, Mm. but, you know, it it really helps know Mm. what's going into your body and you can really connect with the food and and appreciate it. Mm.
1: And so going back a bit to kind of being vegan and the Mm -hmm. movement and all that, we're a rapidly growing group of people. Yeah. Um, last estimates in the uk are something like 3.5 million people we hope yeah roughly or somewhere between half a million and three million according to the vegan society and also compare the market but um there are struggles with trying to convince people about this lifestyle there you get every excuse under the sun but it's important that when we advocate to the, for this lifestyle, we do it in such a way that's effective, and that people who try vegan stay vegan. Yeah, you did a speech at V Shout out to the V Evolution crew. Yeah, um, great people. Um, and your talk was about these things about kind of the what was it called the the,
0: the boundaries, of boundaries of veganism. Yeah, the boundary of veganism of the talk, and the main premise of the talk is I talk a lot about determinism mm. and um, how we communicate socially. So th- there's, there's two kind of elements in there. Determinism for anyone is isn't familiar, I like to think of it as, so say if you're on a pool table, billiards table, snooker table, whatever you, your sport is, you could hit one of the balls and knowing all the variables, you could calculate where every ball on the table is going to end up, right? That's, that's a sum you can do. Mm-hmm. And actually think about life in the same way. If we knew all the variables, you could calculate what was going to happen next at all times. Mm. And the reason for that is because we're all born with our own um, genetic makeup, we're all born in certain circumstances. You may be born somewhere that doesn't even have, you know, running water or a roof over your head. And so we all start off from very different points in life. But I, I like to keep in mind that if I was born in your circumstance with your genetic makeup, I just would be you. Mm-hmm. There's there's no doubt about it.
1: What about twins though? You've got twins, they're the same, same genetics.
0: They're, but they're not... Identical in terms of, so they might be the same genetics. They might look the same, but the brain chemistry isn't is ne- never DNA, identical. Everyone's a snowflake. Their
1: DNA is identical.
0: So this is this is okay. So this is where determinism gets devil's to. advocate
1: hashtag. No, and I like
0: that. I like that. You need that because. Yeah, yeah. So say if me and you were twins, right? Mm-hmm. Born in the same home, have the same parents, mm-hmm. ate all the same meals. Yeah. When we go to school, mm-hmm. they might put us in different classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you might get Miss Rogers Mm -hmm. and I might get Miss Smith. Mm -hmm. And Miss Smith's a hippie, Mm -hmm. right? Miss Smith, you know, quit a job when she was young and went teaching in Thailand, right? And she went vegan herself. Um, You know, Miss Smith experienced life in that way. Miss Rogers, very straight-laced woman, never did any of that. And actually, she just only eats meat and two veg. Mm -hmm. Me and you were going to come out of that class Mm -hmm. eventually affected by those teachers in different ways. Absolutely. Even if we're in the same class, mm. someone barges into you one day mm. and they look a certain way that person does, mm. you're going to be more wary of that type of person mm. next time you walk down a corridor. Mm. That's where I take determinism to. Your life experience, to the smallest, it's like sliding doors, right? Mm-hmm. To the smallest minute detail mm. does affect you in a certain way. Mm. So if you are someone that a vegan ran into a restaurant and shouted at you and, you know, slapped the steak off your plate and threw blood at you. You're going to come away from that either thinking, why are they so angry? I'm going to go and look into it. Or I'm never doing that ever again. Mm. I'm never looking at veganism. I'm going to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. How dare they, right? And whichever outcome it is, it is going to affect you. Every experience in your life is going to affect you in a certain Mm -hmm. way. So that's why I say if I lived your life, I would just be you. There's, Mm -hmm. There's no way about it. That's why I have a lot of empathy for people because... I just, I see them as me living a different life. Mm. Um, And I can't judge someone beyond that. Mm. And it's controversial, but I take that all the way to a murderer, say. Mm. Mm. If I grew up as them with their Mm. genetic makeup, I would be the murderer just like them. Mm. And I think anyone who thinks differently to that, that's quite an ignorant stance to not, you know, not think that.
1: Are you saying that we're totally a product of our environment? Yeah, I
0: don't actually believe in free will.
1: Free will doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, because... Your free will, right? Mm. So the decision I make now is only based on the environment I've been in, mm. my brain chemistry and how it was wired from a very early age.
1: Every single choice. So if I Everything. gave you if I gave you a choice of five different coloured balls, that the, the yeah. ball you chose would be based on yeah. a deterministic
0: Yeah, so the ball you chose would be based so there's a probability element there that there's a um evolutionary basis to it mm. so a brightly colored ball might be more appealing to me mm. right from an evolutionary perspective mm. there is also like how do you ever come up with a favorite color mm. favorite colors it's got to be your brain chemistry based mm. and based on your experience of what you've you know experienced mm. as a kid maybe you had a teddy that was that color who nice. knows right or like your mum's first car was that color the ball i pick is based on my whole life experience and everything that's ever happened to me. And even if I say, actually, you know what? That's my favourite one. I'm going to pick that one because mm-hmm. I want a change. Mm-hmm. That's because I'm a more impulsive person. Mm-hmm. So every single... I I can explain anything by that. What does it mean to our lives if there's no free will? It believes that we should be kinder to each other. Mm. How so? Because you're just a product of your environment mm. and your brain chemistry. Mm you said earlier you know the American dream right you can be born in a slum and make it to be a millionaire yeah right yeah yeah that's great that's the American dream but not everyone can make it because the person who was born in the slum who made it they were either very lucky or born very clever and the, there's just there's no equality in how we're born at all mm. we're not we're not all equal in terms of genetic makeup and you know We've not all got the ability to be Elon Musk mm-hmm. because we all have different IQs and we mm. learn in different ways. Mm. Um, you know, it's like saying if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to think it's it's stupid its whole life. Mm. But we do that. Mm. We, we, do we, we, we do that with people all the yeah. time. We think that's stupid because they're not academic. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's my take on things. I know people will think about things differently, but it made... To, to find that out and to look into that more and more mm. um, from a philosophical standpoint I'm so much more empathetic with people mm. and I feel like I'm a lot kinder to people than I've ever been because I try obviously I'll, I'll still have my initial <clears throat> judgy moment yeah, sure. but then when I analyse the situation I'll go actually it's so it's like take um, take sexuality mm-hmm. right someone will be you know gay, straight, bi whatever mm-hmm. right and people will make stupid comments about it all the time in that, is if it's like someone just chooses to be something or mm-hmm. but it's like if it wasn't determined if it wasn't something with the innards that made us attracted to like the mm-hmm. same sex or different sex or whatever mm-hmm. or both then we wouldn't just do it for a laugh mm-hmm. like it's and it's not even the easy route no so exactly so people still have those standpoints that they think everything's a choice and you mm. can just choose to be a different way mm. but it's something deep rooted within us mm. and you know biological and experience mm. so yeah that's yeah, that's what I believe um, but it makes me a lot more understanding of people and try to put myself in people's shoes all the time mm.
1: so how can we use that when we advocate for veganism so yeah sorry we... I went a long way no now. no it's all, it's all good <laughs> I, think, I think you know philosophy is fascinating yeah you could probably talk for yeah, it's an endless it. conversation. And, and, you know, I'm particularly fascinated in the nature of consciousness and mm. we'll probably get you back for part two yeah, on that to, yeah. at, at some point. But so like when when you're talking to a person who's not on the same wavelength yeah. as you, a family member, a friend, someone at work who's yeah. vehemently opposing your lifestyle, who thinks you're crazy, who thinks you're extreme, how can we use that philosophy and that way of thinking? To kind of meet them where they're at. Yeah,
0: so two things. One is something that I call uh, the social pyramid. Mm. So, the bottom of the social this. pyramid, yeah, yeah, yeah is yeah. Um, it's about how you connect with people, and the bottom is your environment. Mm. It's a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? There's certain needs that we meet in certain mm. ways we connect. And environment is something that we can all connect on because we know we're both experiencing it. Mm. So me and you in this room, mm. if it was really hot right now, I yeah. could go, "Oh, isn't it hot in here?" Mm. and just take you know my my top layer off or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could say, "Oh, your TV's big," or mm. appreciate something in the room. Mm. Well, we're thanks. both, yeah, <laughs> we're both experiencing it at the same time, so yeah. we know it's something we can mm. connect on. Yep. that's why,
1: especially if we don't know each other.
0: Yeah, exactly. If we've never met before, it's a really easy way to connect. So that's why it's very stereotypical to meet someone at a bus stop or a train station and go, to the weather's terrible," mm. or speak to someone in a lift about the lift itself or the building you're in or Mm. what you're doing because it's environmental you're both connected Mm. you you get the idea I think I nailed it home there Um, but as you go up the pyramid right at the top is people's core beliefs so right at the top the things that are not something you should discuss with someone upon meeting them Mm. are maybe their religion maybe their sexuality maybe it is the choices that make so their ethics Mm. right and When you meet someone and you go, hi, I'm Brett, I'm a vegan, instantly, unless they're a vegan too, Mm. or they're kind of on the same wavelength as you, they feel challenged. Mm. So I think, personally, it's it's like stating that you were a different religion to someone. Mm. They may react in a hostile way if you don't know them well enough to have that conversation. I think that we need to get to know the people around us better and approach it, actually get some common ground with them mm. to know where they're coming from. So where they're coming so in the deterministic view of what their environment's been, how they grew up, you might be talking to a dairy farmer mm. and telling them how they should definitely go vegan. Mm. And there there's gonna be two responses there. They're either going to go, actually I grew up on a farm and I think the way cows are treated is, is terrible Right, they may have grew up on a farm, and that's their actual view now. Mm. Or they might go, "Screw you! That's how my family make a living. Mm. How dare you? Mm. You're so privileged to think mm-hmm. that people don't need to live in that way." Mm-hmm. And they could be very, very hostile to mm. that. So, I think we need to encourage people to approach it from a kind and compassionate way mm. to get to know people and connect with them on a deeper level before we start to talk about those kind of topics because all you do is you burn a bridge and it's about building bridges and getting that connection. So many people, when I first went vegan, just took the piss out of me massively. Like people I worked with just laugh at me all the time because it's not seen as a manly thing to be vegan. Um, And also, you know, I'd I'd take a curry in and they'd tell me, oh, it'd be better with chicken in or I'd take a salad in and they'd tell me it'd be better with a steak on, you know. And it's these comments that i thought at the time oh sometimes at the time i'd get a bit angry and i'd get a bit annoyed and frustrated by it and i would think oh they're closed off to veganism i'm never gonna have a conversation with them there's no point they're so against it but these are the same people that would come up to me six months later because i'd always been very calm about it and Mm. i'd always explain things in a rational way and just been kind and wait wait till they ask questions they'd come back to me and they'd say uh, oh uh, I cooked I cooked your curry for my wife last night and she loved it mm. and I'd be like that's amazing great that's mm. one less animal that you ate last night that's mm. fantastic that's a start and you know half of the people that I used to work with have messaged me and said they bought the book mm. you know and they're, they're trying things out they're cooking it so like you can actually get through to people when you start to try and connect with them on a deeper level mm. but that's just you know that's basic like how to make friends and influence people in a, mm. in a certain way patience
1: patience yeah. being
0: kind Letting them ask questions, letting them talk about the sub. Sometimes, you, uh,
1: you have a very calm demeanor about yourself, about you as a person. You kind of, you seem very centered, mm. especially this is such a young man as well. Um, how have you achieved that? Like, is it something you've always been like that, or is it kind of part of who you are? or Have you actually practiced that nature? I've definitely practiced that nature.
0: Uh, I've not always been calm, and I've often, I, I've. I think I've grown up and realised how much damage your words can do. Mm. So I've restricted mm. how much I let my tongue go. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to—I think I've, I've offended a lot of people in my in my lifetime mm. just from being quick-witted mm. um, and shutting people down. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of times when I've shut someone down really quickly. Mm. And then gone on to find out a year later, actually, they were completely right about that topic. And now mm-hmm. I view it from a different perspective entirely.
2: Mm. Knowing
0: that you're wrong and you're not infallible is, mm. is huge to anyone's mm. ego. And you know, to knock yourself down a peg or two. Mm-hmm. And I will have a conversation with anyone about anything. Mm. I, I don't, I don't mind how much I disagree with you at first. I am going to let you voice your opinion mm. to find out mm. how you reach that conclusion. Mm. And I think determinism is a massive part of that, how I got there.
1: What influenced all of this? Because you're, what age are you? You're 20, 28. You're 28, but you speak like you're 20 years older. Have you, you know, what's your life experience? Okay, like, Have you travelled a lot? And
0: I, I've travelled quite a lot. Um, I actually recently said, someone asked me what my passions were, mm. and I said, um, food travelling people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've, I noticed, I analysed myself, because I try and analyse myself a lot, why I do different things, mm. and, and I realised that, I always list them backwards because really my passions are people, Mm -hmm. food and travel Mm -hmm. or people traveling food. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's actually people first Mm -hmm. because the only reason I travel is Mm -hmm. to meet people Mm -hmm. in different places and experience Mm -hmm. things. And the only reason I got so into cooking is because I like to make people happy. Mm -hmm. And I get a huge pleasure from like finding someone's cook something out of my book because I knew it made them happy Mm -hmm. and or cooking for the people. So I actually think, loving people and wanting to meet people and experience them and and kind of know a bit about them Mm. influence a lot of the the things I'm doing, the things I'm passionate about. Yeah. in terms of life experience, you know, a lot of travel. Um, but I think making mistakes Mm -hmm. is, is a big one. Mm. You know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of knowledge and experience from, you know, so you get a lot of knowledge from experience Mm. and you get a lot of experience from making mistakes. Mm you know you have to do things and, and make mistakes some, to learn? if you want
1: to share them obviously what are some of the biggest things that you've done that you've um, learned
0: from I think, I think often it's quite simple things just in terms of like not letting things go mm. um, feeling like being very arrogant about the fact that you think you're right on a certain subject mm. um, yeah it's, it's hard to think of a, a real topic I'm not, it's interesting actually because I I'm not evading the question if I if I knew there was a very personal Mm. reason I would I would come up with it but maybe past relationships that have failed because Mm. my unwillingness to hear someone out or Mm. kind of being arrogant enough to think that Mm. I'm definitely right about something Mm. that's another part of how we communicate the message because when you think about people ask me all the time when I do these kind of talks how do I get through to my family Mm. because I can't believe they're not vegan like, I'm vegan I'll, I'll talk to them all the time about it and they're just they're so anti it and I'm like you're probably not the best person to talk to your family about it mm. you better inviting a few friends around and having a more open conversation you said that in your talk
1: I think yeah Yeah.
0: because part of it is from that say, take that you know that deterministic viewpoint again you were in the same environment for so long that you get frustrated of why aren't my family vegan I went not mm. vegan I grew up in the same way they did so surely they should have reached the same conclusion, but they're a different person to you. And especially like your parents, they, they taught you everything, taught you how to walk and speak. Mm. And so for you to then start teaching them things and tell them where they're wrong about mm. the way
1: they are living their life is it's a very difficult conversation to have. It is difficult. And I think a lot of people forget that um, these changes of beliefs mm-hmm. take time. Yeah, And not everyone is going to make the switch in one conversation or one YouTube video. Some of us took a year, it took me a year to kind of make a full switch. I was, I came to it for health reasons, um, watched lots of documentaries and then the, the nail (laughs) got deeper and deeper. And then I suddenly realized this is serious, you know, what we're doing to our bodies, what we're doing to our world, the extinctions, the deforestation, the ocean dead zones, the, 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 you know, the death of our oceans essentially is it, is an urgent thing. And we all, we need to fucking excuse my French, mm. pull our fingers out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's certainly what drives me every day. Like you're obviously an unapolog- unapologetic vegan. You're not ashamed or afraid to say you're a vegan. Um, a lot of people are a bit nervous and anxious about having that on their profile or putting it in a, in, a, in the title of their book. Do you want to speak a little bit about how, why it's so important that vegan Is front and center to everything that we do so that we normalize it
0: yeah i think part of part of that is representing vegan in the right way Mm. um uh you know juliette from viva yeah she spoke to me once about you know how we should all be the poster people for veganism Mm. so we should all make sure we look fit and healthy and you know represent ourselves in the right way and don't necessarily offend people or go about things in the wrong way
1: especially if we're putting ourselves out in the public yeah
0: if you're saying overtly you know well yeah i am i am vegan then if you are the person who's going around not being people's friends you know you're not a sociable person you're being angry at people and you're not communicating in an effective way then people are going away and you're damaging the Mm. word vegan Mm. so i think yeah it is important to me the word vegan and I do use it I'm an unapologetic vegan mm. I will have a conversation with anyone about anything as I said but mm. I'm unwavering in my morals mm. so that's it's okay for you to have your opinion mm. but this is my opinion and this is this is where I'm coming from i don't believe I don't believe that we should hurt animals mm. ever mm. I don't think it's necessary um I don't think we should be treating the environment the way we are mm. we are and that is one of the biggest Um, privilege things that we do in terms of we affect the environment in a lot of the you know westernized countries and we are literally rising the sea level to sink people's nations Mm -hmm. and the fact that we now know that's happening Mm -hmm and governments aren't yet taking enough measures to stop that happening. We're the first generation ridiculous.
1: to know it's happening, and the last generation to actually do yeah. something about it.
0: That can stop it. Yeah. We have, you know, it.
1: the climate change scientists are suggesting we have a roughly 12 years, and it's probably less than that, to turn things around. Um, do you ever get frustrated with the lack of kind of forward movement? Yes, the vegan movement's growing. Yes, there's lots of fantastic vegan products and loads of influences But do you ever get frustrated that it's not, things are not changing quick enough, that people are not waking up fast enough to this reality?
0: I do. Um, I get some solace in the fact that, like many things, I mean, I suppose to compare it to, you know, environmental change, a lot of things happen in a tipping point. So Mm. hopefully it will get to a point where there's so many vegans and Mm. so many products that it will be a tipping point and it'll speed up and mm. it'll be an exponential growth and things will change a lot quicker towards mm. the towards the end. Mm. I spoke to um I spoke to and Ed recently actually about the fact that because of my like deterministic view of you know you can't really blame someone because of the way they came, grew up and all these things. There's a, a line between that empathy for where someone came from mm. and the fact that actually we're getting to a point where You've got no reason not to be vegan now Mm. and your life isn't affected in a negative way because there's so many products and it's just as easy now to actually... Sorry, but there's an accountability line.
1: And when clean meat appears commercially, there'll be absolutely no excuse at all.
0: Now that, in terms of talking about getting frustrated, I saw our environmental minister make a comment about clean meat saying that vegan meats are too expensive too far away all these things right bad mouthing them saying that they're not an effective solution for mm. environmental yet we're in a country where he knows that we're subsidising meat mm. how ridiculous is that for a politician to make mm. that kind of argument mm. against a Just solution go, Michael, go. Of, yeah of course it's expensive mm. you're not subsidising it mm. take the subsidies off the things that are destroying the environment mm. and put them on the things that are the solution mm. and oh hey ho now it's an affordable option for people. That is ridiculous. And that's the kind of thing that makes you wonder where money's being thrown around and, mm. and who's, who's being paid by
1: who. It's a highly profitable industry. That's why they want to keep things exactly as they are. You know, a lot of the... You walk into an average supermarket, if you removed all the products that contain animal products, the supermarket would be virtually empty, wouldn't it? You just have like your little fruit and fresh fruit and veg aisle in the corner and some of the dried grains and everything... That, most of the supermarket would be empty mm. and you know the u s there's a number from uh, but that's so, great because yeah. we run out
0: of space as well sorry <laughs> that's great because we' run out of space yeah, as well
1: <laughs> exactly but you know the, our 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 industry sorry our economies mm-hmm. are built on the literally built on the backs of animals, trillions and trillions of pounds and dollars are generated from these industries that aren't just not just milk and meat meat and eggs it's all the other products that come from them, yeah, you know um but yeah it's it's a uh, it's a bit of a blend of byproducts
0: and the waste products but saying that there is that's just because they can only see the you know plant based market mm. for what it is currently. they mm. can't see that if you take those things away, people still need to eat, so those economies will grow to match it, mm. and the
1: supermarket will just contain more of the vegan products like this. Mm. So we can going to ask you some questions, a couple of questions from the audience that uh, were sent in earlier. Vegan Vizard says, oh, "Okay, what's your best chat-up line?
0: Yeah, Vegan Vizard is uh, an interesting character that makes great memes. Um, so yeah, check them out if you get a chance. My best chat-up line, uh, I'm vegan for the animals, maybe, <laughs> Um no, I think... Uh,
1: uh, with women that you... I mean, you, you, you've you said recently that you're obviously focusing on your work and stuff, but yeah. when, if you've, have you been on any dates recently where you've met any non-vegan women and how they reacted? Um, or do you only hang out with vegan girls? No, I,
0: <laughs> I wouldn't only hang out with... That's quite an interesting one, actually, because yeah. I've, I've gone through a loop with that in terms of, like, yeah. one time I was like, I think I could only date a vegan now. Yeah but realistically i'm not I'm not um investing in the change if I only think that I'm mm. not investing and appreciating my uh, you know my ability to affect change in other people. My biggest problem would be to eventually live in a house married to someone and have you know non vegan products in the house mm. or have to have that question or argument about how you're gonna raise a child because i could not bring myself to Mm. raise a child and not be vegan Mm. so it's a tough one it's definitely a tough one i think um it's not something i'm really focused on at the moment in Mm. terms of like chatting someone up (laughs) um i think in yeah in terms of if you're going to chat to someone and there's an interest there then it should be easy
1: actually um how difficult was it moving from your nine to five job to working what you as what you do now
0: so it's something that happened gradually in terms of I was working hard all week long, but every single night I was coming home and filming videos and taking pictures and and building the kind of epi vegan brand, writing recipes on the side. So it is something that kind of built up in the background naturally. And then when it got to the point where I, I literally just couldn't maintain both at the same time, I made the jump and i didn't make the jump at a time when it was really truly financially viable i'll be honest mm-hmm. um but i planned for that and saved up as well and mm-hmm. things like that, that mm-hmm. so that could kind of keep it going for the you time sound like being you seem like
1: quite an organised person if you had a house and stuff on yeah. your own quite young you obviously had some good guidance and
0: uh yeah i think role i models i was constantly i was constantly pushing to do things early Mm. so I was the kind of guy who was like I actually want my mortgage paid off by the time I'm 30 so I was Mm. paying I was working all the overtime I could and Mm. paying huge chunks of my mortgage with that money Um, I've always been very you know focused in that way to try and achieve things early Mm. actually though I've got to a situation now where I'm kind of like why do I want to work really really crazily when I'm young in an office so that when I get old and my body's giving up on me and I'm not as healthy as I've been and I can't enjoy things fully then I can retire that mm. doesn't seem logical to me it doesn't really make sense someone said to me once like you know it's it's not Monday that sucks it's your life mm. so if you if you hate <laughs> hating Monday then mm. it's actually because you hate your job and the way mm. you've set up your life and you, you can change that mm. um, it, it's going to be difficult sometimes to change it and you know another thing someone said to me once is you know Build a life that you don't need a vac- vacation from. Mm. So if yeah. you're constantly wanting to be somewhere else, then there's something really wrong about it. It's
1: good advice. If you're stuck on a desert island mm-hmm. and there's a pig yep. and you're a vegan, yeah. <laughs> obviously you wouldn't eat the pig. Right. But if you were stuck on that island and I gave you, you could only take with you one one music album, yeah. one book and one vegan dish, what would they be? Music album, uh, I'd take
0: Zach Abel's. Uh, album. Shout out to Zach. Yeah, shout out to Zach. Um, Absolutely fantastic, talented uh, talented musician. So yeah, take that. It'd feel like I was hanging out with him as well, so that's great. Um, What were the other things? One dish? A book. book. Ooh. uh, A book. One of the biggest books for changing the way I thought about things was actually The Art of Thinking Clearly mm-hmm. by a guy called Rolf de Belly mm. and it's split up into chapters that each chapter is a different flaw in the way we think mm. um, and he's taken some of the, he's basically chopped and cut a lot of the greatest books about the way we think and put them into one book um, and I think that's, yeah, it's a very interesting book,
1: yeah. And what vegan dish would you have? That's all you can eat for the rest of your life.
0: I'd either take I'd probably take Xavier Stroni which is in the book um, and it's the reason I'd take it is because when I made that dish I started looking at the macros in the dish Mm. and the way it's balanced it's perfect for your diet so you could eat that dish every single day it's a pasta dish and be balanced yeah Um, all you need to do is tweak the amount of pasta you put in it and and you could eat it all day long because it's Easily got your five portions of fruit and veg and more. Mm. Um, it's got your nutritional yeast in there. Mm. You got your B twelve and things like that. You got a lot of your essential acid, so fatty
1: acid. So, yeah, it's a it's a great dish for that. Or Picky what's Pizza. <laughs> Good choice. So, how can we uh, follow you? And how can people find out what you're doing?
0: Yeah. So if uh, if you want to follow me on like Instagram and YouTube, that's Epi Vegan, which is E P I V E G A N. And I've actually got my own podcast, which I'd love to have you on there and that is if you search Brett Cobley on iTunes it comes up it's actually called the Bad Cult Podcast
1: amazing well thank you so much for joining us on the PBN Podcast it's been a pleasure to have you thanks brother I appreciate it yeah I'll be back next week with more health fashion veganism food and everything else in between